And this is the original Dr. DeVitro. <laughs> Thank you. I had not planned on telling any stories, to be honest with you. I, I thought about trying to outsmart him. That's impossible. Sorry, I'm just adjusting. So uh, people at home can hear you. Oh, please. I can't preach with that thing in my face. But <laughs> but I, I really, I, you know... Uh, there, there, and there are few people that intellectually uh, intimidate me. Your pastor's one of them. <laughs> he really does. And uh, since he got me all water-eyed, I'll try to get through it. Uh, but uh, you have a fine man. I won't tell you that. And. Uh, his wife's not too bad either. <laughs> no, but God is good, and and He has uh, just watching my son pastor. And you know, uh, you you see so many pastors that have at least one black sheep kid in the family, and and God has been so good to me. Uh, mother, my daughter's married to a preacher. I don't know why I'm even more watery. I'll get it over in a minute. I'm going to get it over now before I start preaching. But uh, I just, I, I've never, I've never been to a police station. I've never had to find him somewhere at a party. Uh, God has just been so good to uh, preserve our kids. And uh, one of the, one of the proudest moments that I had uh, as a pastor was to get four generations on the platform at the same time, every one of them in church, every time the doors were open, faithfully serving God. Uh, that's a hard thing to do, and God's been good to me, and I don't take that for granted. You say, what do you have to do that? I have no idea. I just did what I knew to do at the moment to do it, and God honored it. And And I am convinced that we live in a society that wants to regulate and regiment everything. Now, I, I realize that's funny coming from a guy with a suit on. You say, why would you do that? Are you trying to embarrass us? No. I was a hippie. I had hair down to here when I had hair. And and my dad, for high school graduation, gave me a one-way ticket to San Francisco to get me as far away from him as he possibly could. And that is, that is not a lie, not even a pastoral elasticity. Uh, he, he just, he hated the sight of me. He'd spent six months captive in Romania. And I was a communist. You can imagine how that worked. And then one guy, one night, God saved me. And when I got saved, he said, you got to get rid of this stuff. I read the verse. We are then ambassadors for him. And in a in the age in which I lived, it meant 180 degrees turn. And I've been there ever since. It is not ever to intimidate anybody, make a comment on. I tried. I really tried this morning to come without a suit and tie on. I just can't. I cannot remember in over 40 years of preaching ever preaching without a tie on. 
and I hate ties. If I find the guy that, that invented them in heaven, I'm going to beat the living daylights out. <laughs> but it is what it is. Anyway, having said all that, would you turn with me to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, I use the King James Bible. I hope that doesn't offend you. Uh, I do believe the Bible is the very words of God. You say, which one? You worry about that. I do believe this, though. If you use a Bible other than the one I hold, and and I say this everywhere I go, and I say it respectfully, believe that the book that you hold in your hands is the very words of God because you're basing your eternal destiny on it. it I, I used to have people come to my church carry four Bibles. That's called Burger King Christianity. Have it your way. Keep using different versions. Till you get one you like. No. Uh, instead of, well, that one rubs me the wrong way. Uh, you turn you around because it's not changing. It is the eternal words of God. I thought about coming in and, and trying to talk about Memorial Day. I thought that's a waste of time. I'm not going to do that. And, and then I thought about, well, I'll come in and I'll do some intellectual thing and try to impress you. But after getting lectures in Chinese, Assyrian, and, and, and a few other languages, I said, that's not going to work. So I thought I'd come to you and speak to you today on what I believe is the third most important lesson in the New Testament. The first lesson's obvious. John chapter 3, verse 3, you must be born again. Maybe you're here today, you're visiting, you've never trusted Christ as Savior. The Bible says nothing else in life matters so much as you must be born of God. You must be born again. And uh, love to show you how to do that, but this morning I'm not going to be preaching on that. I'll probably mention it along the way. And you have different pollen than I have in Massachusetts. I could be like Richard Nixon and preach with a drop on my nose. Those of you who are kids would remember that. That was why Mr. Kennedy was elected president. Five o'clock shadow and a drip of hay fever on his nose. But the first important, most important verse, lesson in the New Testament is you must be born again. It is the central fact of the entire Bible. You cannot obey the scriptures until and unless you've been born of God. You and I are born broken when we come into this world. We have a sinful nature. By his stripes we are healed. So true. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Dr. Harry Ironside used to say we bow down to step in at the first hour, all, and we rise up to exit at the second one. God makes the difference. There is nothing else. You cannot obey the scripture. Across America today, there are churches where the pastor's telling people, look good, do good, smell good, bring in the kingdom, but they don't say you must be born again. And without the power of God alive and, and real in our lives, we can't, we can't even worship. Can't even worship. So God said you must be born again. Second greatest truth is in Romans chapter 12. I'll get to the sermon somewhere in the next half hour. This is one that's got a 20 minute introduction, a five minute message. Romans chapter 12, one and two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Logicase, liturgies, uh, your logical literary, uh, liturgy. If you want all these churches worrying about their liturgies and what they do in this room, your liturgy is what you do outside of this place. It is to give your body as a living sacrifice to him. He died for me that I might be born again. Now he asked me that I would live for him in return. Second greatest message. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God says, look, you can't let the world force you into its mold. And that doesn't mean so much what we look like and what we, uh, how we worship. It means don't let them convince you. That materialism is the end of life. If you can have just one more dollar, you can be happy and satisfied. Don't let them convince you uh, that power is the answer of life. If you can just become president of the United States. I wonder what happens in the minds of men who were president as young men. Most powerful position on the face of this earth. And now they're nothing. What do you do? I mean, I understand when you're 80 years old and you get out and say, shoo, glad that's over. <laughs> but when you're in your 40s and 50s, like Mr. Clinton and Mr. Obama, what do you do after that? If you don't have a legacy, it's all for naught. Power doesn't do it. Money doesn't do it. A thousand friends doesn't do it because we all die alone. God said, don't let the world pour you into that mold. Understand, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I, when I got saved, I, I was a hippie. The night I got saved, I did three hits LSD and six of speed. After I got saved, I could not have a meaningless or meaningful conversation. I would white out, forget who you were, who I was, what we were talking about. It is by God's grace that he renewed my mind. I, I understand that verse. I had to change all my thinking, had to change all my priorities, change all my relationships. They asked Garlo Guthrie about the 60s. He said, if you remember the 60s, you didn't live through them. I don't say that to glorify sin. I tell you that God can renew your mind. I, 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 I sit in awe of all these Christian ministries trying to minister to people with broken lives, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand the need, but I also understand that once the Spirit of God begins to transform from the inside out, a drunkard is no longer a drunkard. A, a hippie is no longer a hippie. A, 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 an adulterer is no longer... When the Spirit of God works, he transforms, and that means he changes us. I've never seen a butterfly turn back into a caterpillar. Transformed by the power of God into a brand new life. Caterpillar stuck on leaves eating green. Butterfly reaches to the sky and begins to bring beauty to the world. Different time, different purpose. Transformed by God. Man, can you imagine being born a a tadpole? 
all you got to look forward to is becoming a frog. I'm... <laughs> Finally, the third greatest, the third greatest command in the Bible, or the third greatest lesson. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I want to suggest to you that this is a verse that is neglected by most Christians that I've run into. And it has some terrible implications. I deal with people every day who just will not let this truth set in. I want to talk about it this morning. Father, would you help us today? Uh, we want to honor you. We want to exalt you. We want to worship. But more than anything else, we want to be transformed by the living words of God. Father, would you reach down into our hearts and lift them up into the very presence of God? Father, we're going to have to face the world this week. We're going to have to face the devil this week. We're going to have to face our own sinfulness this week. And we can't do it in our own strength. Would you lift our hearts into the very presence of God? Would you wash out any of the sin that might be there? And Father, may you... Feed our spirit, feed our soul, lift us above ourselves that we might live for Christ and serve him. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When I read this verse the first time, I saw that last little tag lick on it, who walked not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And I said, man, that's a great verse. There is therefore now no condemnation except. And I said, that doesn't sound like God. Now, I understand in, in many Bibles it's not there, and I don't think it is in the ESV. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to, again, I'm not here to criticize Bibles. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I use this one. That's all there is. I don't mean it's the only one. It's just one I use. But I read that phrase, and I thought, man, there's nothing but. You know, when you put a but in a sentence, that means everything I just told you is a lie. I'm sorry, but it's all your fault. You, you wives and husbands would never understand that one. I'm sorry, but you understood. I'm not sorry. You're the dummy. I see a but there and I thought, man, God, you don't do that. And then I started to study a little bit more into the verse. Now I don't usually quote a bunch of Greek and I won't do much here today, but he said, First of all, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He says you are walking, not you shouldn't walk. It's not a conditional phrase. He said you are not walking. Now, if you don't see it in verse 1, look down verse 4. You got the same words at the end. It's not a conditional thing. God's not saying there is no condemnation if you're perfect. Of course there's no condemnation if you're perfect. What would you condemn? That verse is meaningless unless I understand that God is telling me about a condition that exists in my life that, that whether I deserve it or not is true. And isn't that what grace is? There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. If I'm in Christ Jesus, I am not walking after the flesh. That's what chapter 7 was all about. 
Paul said, with my, with my flesh I serve the law of sin, but with my mind I serve the law of God. So then there's no more condemnation. He said, where's the condemnation coming from? Do you remember reading in chapter 7, that which I would, that I do not, that which I would not, that I do, the most confusing passage in the entire New Testament. Paul said, I'm still a sinner. I got saved, but it's still sin. Now, I don't know about you, but but I don't think I'm better than the Apostle Paul. Brother Ray talked about Peter for a minute. You know, I used to preach, preach about all the things Peter did wrong and all the mistake Paul made on Mars Hill when he couldn't build a church there. I used to preach on all the things those guys wrong until I thought about one day, one day I'm going to be sitting in heaven on a park bench at Hallelujah Street and Glory Boulevard. And I'm going to be sitting there and I'm going to be talking. All of a sudden, this guy's going to sit down next to me. His name's Paul. And he's going to drop his robe and said, here's my scars. Where's yours? So after that, I decided all them guys in the Bible are good men. And I'm not saying anything wrong about it. But if Paul says he was still a sinner after he got saved and he's serving God and he's turning the world upside down for the cause of Christ. And then he says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Am I in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ Jesus? Then God says, there's no more condemnation. You say, well, I understand that. You know, theologically we say, okay, yeah, that's true. Let me ask you a question. Is there something in your past that you did that you're blaming the future on? I have a guy that he doesn't, he's not a member of my church, but 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, I'm not sure when, he's 80 years old. He had an affair with a neighbor on his wife. A lifetime of being a Christian, he refuses to forgive himself for what he did. He looks back and he says, this is what's wrong with my kids. This is what's wrong with my wife. This is what's wrong with my marriage. This is what's wrong with my business. God hates me. He's not going to let me go because I messed up. And I said to him, don't you believe that God has forgiven your sins for Christ's sake? Well, yeah, I got saved in a tent meeting back when I was a teenage boy. I said, well, if God forgave you, why can't you forgive yourself? You know, the greatest hindrance to men and women, teenagers serving God today, is we will not forgive ourselves for what we have done. And until we do, what can we do? When Eric was young, right over here, the door opened from his, was it your bedroom or Kristen's? From my daughter's bedroom, right to the, the organ was right there. Now, I may not have always been the greatest husband in the world. 
And, and my wife would remind me of that for hours. Sometimes up to 18 hours, and, and he'll tell you it was not an exaggeration, without taking a breath. You're not listening to me. What have I been doing for the last 18 hours? And of course, I was always kindly and Christian in response. We had one wall. We just filled it in with foam. Forget the drywall. It wasn't worth it. And I'd had to walk through that door and do my job as a pastor. You say that's hypocrisy. No, that's humanity. We are all together sinful. And, and I didn't have the privilege of driving, what, a mile or two from the house to the church. I mean, I had to go from there to the pulpit without even a minute to catch my breath. If I did not believe that there is therefore now no condemnation, the minute Jesus, John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. The moment I can honestly look at God and say, I have sinned. Not, Lord, if I did anything today to offend you, I'm sorry. That's like me walking up to Eric, drawing back and smacking him as hard across the face as I possibly can. And then when he gets up, saying, son, if I've ever done anything to offend you, I'm sorry. You know, and God knows you're not serious. But if I say, Lord, I flat lost my temper. I cussed. I let it rip. I was mean-spirited. I sinned. And I genuinely mean that. There is therefore now no condemnation. That sets me free to serve God. That's not a license to do whatever I want to do, because if I try that stunt, there is a woodshed out back that God will take you to, and it's not worth going there. That's 50 years' experience as a Christian. Well, I'll just quit. You know, I tried to quit about four or five times early in the ministry, and I found there's no place to quit to. The world doesn't want you back. You might as well dance with the one what brung you. I mean, there's just no way to get. And I had to learn from a practical perspective. Remember Jack Englemore? Little midget. He would call himself a midget. I don't know what the politically correct term is. He and his wife, neither one of them hit four feet. I was behind a six-foot wooden fence that we put up behind the parsonage, laying face down in the mud. I was so depressed the ground wasn't low enough. And I thought I was all alone back there. Six-foot fence, the gate was unlocked. Next thing, there stands Jack. Preacher, what you doing? That's a rough spot. So I stood up and he said to me, Preacher, you know, if you don't count all the successes, you don't have to count the failures transforming thought not that you quit trying but you quit keeping score what a novel concept you know if you do that in a marriage you'll last a lot longer 
if if when you get ready to fight, you don't you what you got your you got your ammunition, she's got her ammunition, and you shoot at the guns until they're empty and and then you end up miserable anyway. Why bother keeping score? Have you ever noticed you picked her guys? Ladies, you said I do. You can't blame them. Nobody held a gun at your head. You're the one messed up. You need to go to God. Instead of praying, Lord, help my wife to understand. I said to Eric this morning, we were talking job. We were serious. He's telling, teaching me Japanese. We're talking Greek grammar. We're having a ball. We spent last night linguistics on a high level. Where My poor wife, when she graduated high school, and I don't say this to demeanor, she could not. We'd go to a grocery store. We'd go to a, a clothes store, and it'd be 10% off. She'd say, how much is that? I mean, she. I was in the college class. She was in where they just pushed them through and, and got them through. And, and I'd be sitting at dinner time reading the Septuagint, and she'd be trying to have a conversation. <clears throat> or, or I spent three years editing the Greek New Testament for the computer, and, and I'd be doing it day and night, sometimes 36 hours without a stop. And, and she put up with all that stuff. Poor woman, no wonder she was mad at me half the time. I'm too dumb to know it. I always told you, don't give me hints. You want something, ask me, because I'm not going to get a hint. Well, I'm too far off. <laughs> Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says, Whom God has set, talking about the Lord Jesus, set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The word propitiation, helosmos, had no English translation when uh, John Wycliffe was doing his translation of the Bible back in the 1380s. And he looked at the word helosmos, and in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, that is the word translation of the word mercy seat. All through the Old Testament, wherever you read the mercy seat of the tabernacle, that was translated the helosmos. And so he grabbed a, a Latin word, propitios. My son, they'd tell me better what it is. I just know what it is. He grabbed a, a, a Latin word and he said, this one fits. They'll just have to get a dictionary. And the word propitiation means that the Lord Jesus Christ, like a sponge, absorbed all of the anger, all of the wrath, all of the offended holiness because of my sin. So that when he was done on the cross, there was not one thing left that God held against me. There is therefore now no condemnation for the sins that are past. I understand that when I got saved, everything I had ever done was forgiven. There is no condemnation. Where are you going, preacher? Oh, we'll figure it out in a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now, I'm not a charismatic. I, I don't have a charismatic bone in my body. But I've heard them guys say, well, speak to it. Refuse to take. 
I tell you one thing I will speak to and one thing I will refuse to do. Folks, this will transform your life. If you're struggling against who you have been or who you are, this will transform your life if you'll hear what the Bible says. The Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. Now, let me ask you something. If, you continue to be sorry after you have confessed something to God. When he says there's no more condemnation, then where's it coming from? And I want to tell you something. I refuse to carry the guilt of sin that's been confessed ever again. And I'll tell the devil that. I don't talk to him much because I find out it just stirs him up, gives you more trouble in the long run. But I refuse. I absolutely refuse to carry sorrow for what I was because that will kill a person. How many people get depressed because of their sin and end their own lives? But even more so, it'll end your spiritual life. Not that you'll lose your salvation, but you'll just quit living. You know, there are millions of people, millions of men and women in nursing homes around America who are still alive, but they've stopped living. I hope to preach until I drop because I don't know what else to do. I'm getting arthritis. I'm not going to be able to pick a banjo for much longer. But, but, but if I can preach, if I can open my mouth even in a nursing home and preach, I'll be happy. But I don't know what I would do if I could not follow the calling that God has given me. Are you sinlessly perfect? No. But I've learned a long time ago, there is therefore now. No condemnation. I will not carry sorrow that does not lead me to repent. That's how you tell where it's coming from. If it leads you to repent and sets you free, it's from God. But if it leads you to just whine and worry the rest of your life, it's from the devil. And you don't need his help to live a Christian life. You just tell him where he can take it and keep it. Just the way it is. But there's not only no condemnation then, there's no condemnation now. For the things I'm doing right now. Romans chapter 1, 5 verse 1, there's there, uh, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Not we can have peace with God. We already have it. We already have it. You got people running around trying to make up for what they did wrong. Oh, I'm going to pay God back. With what? I'm supposed to be without sin. Why? I haven't sinned in a week. Wasn't God impressed? You're not supposed to. And all the not sinning you can do will never make up for the sinning you're doing. 
If I were to ask you how many of you have a credit card in your pocket, most of you would raise your hand. If I were to say how many of you carry a balance on that credit card, probably half of you would raise your hand. And if I said to you now, you go to the bank, you go to the issuer that's charging 95% interest, and you tell them, look, I am never going to borrow another penny. That's great. And I'm not paying back what I owe. That's not so great. How do I pay God back by not doing what put me in the hole in the first place? There's no positive to replace with. I don't get two points for every bad. I had a friend that uh, used to go to a church. He He's in heaven now. But when he grew up, he went to a church, and it was a church where uh, you would pray certain things to to make up for sin and whatnot. And uh, he used to go every day. His mom would drag him there anyway, so he just went ahead and did the prayers ahead of time trying to build credit. He used it all up, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but God said, right now, as I walk and breathe, I am justified with with God. What does justified mean? Just as if I never sinned. Can you imagine the, the, the propitiation provided by the Lord Jesus not ab- only absorbed the wrath of God against sin's past, but it's absorbed the wrath of God against sin present. And it even will, uh, absorb the wrath against things future. You say, how can that be? Well, if I knew I'd be God, all I know is God is a merciful, gracious God, and he has forgiven my sins. I got to jump on or I'll never get done. Let me see where I'm at. There'll be no condemnation then. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17 says, The Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Revelation 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I've had preachers preach, say, when you get to heaven, man, you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. People are going to weep over what they could have done. No, there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. There's no tears in heaven. The minute I step through those gates of pearl to streets of gold, I shall never weep again. There's no sorrow in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I will be transformed, whether it's at the resurrection or in the rapture, receive our bodies glorified, ready to spend eternity with him, and we will leave sin and all tears and guilt and everything else that hurts us behind. There is no condemnation. That's why we're not going through the great tribulation period. We're not going through one minute of it. Well, the church has to be purified. Bless God. We were made pure in the blood of the lamb. There is no more purity to be applied. 
You say, well, why do we have to confess our sins for the same reason Jesus washed the feet of the disciples? We walk in a dirty world and we get our feet dirty. Peter said, well, then give me a whole bath. He said, you don't need a whole bath. I already washed you. Don't worry about that. Just let me wash your feet, Peter. Why? Because there's therefore now no condemnation. I mean, I know your preacher preached on, on John 21 last week. He told me I wasn't allowed to. But, but let me just say this. It's illustrated in John 21. Hey, Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Well, yeah, Lord, I love you. And preachers get all fancy. Well, the words for like, I can do that too. But you know what? I count to three. Three times he denied him. Three times he reaffirmed his love. But what did Jesus say to him? He didn't say to him, Peter, are you sorry? He said, Peter, did you weep bitterly? I saw you. I caught you. He said, go feed my sheep. Peter, get back in the battle. Just get back in the battle. You, we, we've been through this thing. Your sin's forgiven, Peter. Get back in the battle. And so now I'm ready for the sermon. <laughs> that comes out of 1 Peter 5, 7. And I'm serious. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We carry burdens that are way too heavy for us to bear. We do. We carry the guilt because we weren't perfect parents, as if anybody ever was. We we carry guilt because we went bankrupt and we maybe absorbed the the, the investments of friends and people that counted on us. We 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 carry a burden of guilt that would crush Superman when all we have to do is give it to him. There's therefore now no condemnation. We drag burdens around that he can carry easily. Just give it to him. He said, you that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Casting all your cares on him. That includes all the guilt and all the frustration and every failure you've ever experienced. Just give it to him. That leads me to the third point. And don't take it back. Don't take it back. I don't care if the devil and all the minions of hell are shouting about how you failed. I am not condemned in the eyes of God. And he's the only one that counts. You see why it's the third greatest lesson in the Bible? You must be born again. Oh, you must. Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. You say, Preacher, why do you keep saying that? Because you must be born again. You say, Preacher, we heard, I was 18 years old. 
I went to church at eight days old. My, my mom and dad, there was a Scottish preacher there. He said, what's his name? Good Italian boy. My dad's name is Anthony. His father's name is Antonio. What should my name be? Antony, yeah, Nini, little Tony. Nah. Kirk Douglas. Good Scott name. He's going to be a preacher. I don't know what he'd do. But for the next 18 years, every time the doors were open, we were in church. My dad opened them. My dad locked them. And he wasn't the janitor. None of this sissy church like we have today, and I'm not, I'm not being critical. I just want you to understand what I'm saying. We went to church, 945 Sunday school started. We got out at one o'clock. We came back at six o'clock for youth meetings, went from youth meeting at seven o'clock to church service and got out at 945. If he had to preach extra, we came on Wednesday night to prayer meeting at 730 to 945. That was every week. Then once a year, we'd have the crusade for Christ. We'd start on Sunday all week long. No three-week evangelistic meeting. All week long until the next Sunday, 15 straight days every night, church service. For 18 years of my life, and I wasn't saved. Wasn't saved. Palm Sunday, 1971. The Spirit of God brought all that back. And for the first time in my life, I could believe. And I did believe. And he saved me and transformed my life. So I say to you today, maybe you've been here your whole life and you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You must be born again. And if you're saved, and I know this is a busy church but maybe you haven't found a ministry yet. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Two most important verses in the Bible, principles in the Bible. But the third one, it'll keep you from the others. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Preacher.